Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Dino Line Media presents The History of Being Black. Welcome to another episode of The History of Being Black. I am still black and I'm still Eunice Elliott. And you know, each episode I have the honor and privilege of talking to some black folks about black folks. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. And I've learned to have some of my favorite people, even if it's my first time meeting them, everyone after the show becomes my favorite person. So no pressure, no pressure for today's guest. Today we are joined by Rasul Berry of... um, a lot of different areas. I would say he's representing Brooklyn. He's also represents Detroit. Yep. He's with our Daily Bread Ministries. And first of all, welcome to the History of Being Black, Russell. Thank you for your time. Oh, thanks so much, Eunice, for having me. I'm so glad to be here. So tell me if I had to, I've read your bio, I've read your press release. You have a lot of exciting things going on and coming up. But for our listeners who may not know who Rasul Berry is, tell us a little bit about you, who you are, and then we'll get started with uh, what you're doing now. Sure, sure. Well, the first thing is, yes, I do live in Brooklyn. I do have connections with uh, Michigan in light of uh, the ministry work. But I, well, where I have to rep hard every day, all day in Northwest Philadelphia, born and raised okay. on the playground is where I spent most of my days. <laughs> right here. There you go. Yes. Okay. Yes. So Philly representer all day. Uh, that's where I grew up, uh, where I was formed. And um, and so since then, have traveled, uh, lived in different parts of the country um, and now uh, call Brooklyn my home. So, yeah. OK, so um, I mean, you, you hit all pretty much all the chocolate cities, you know, you had Atlanta <laughs> or D.C. or Houston. Uh, I, I did live in D.C. for four years. So, you know, <laughs> you East Coast blackness going on. So, again, yeah. thank you for joining us on the show. But with everything that you do have going on, this is a big week for you because you're launching a new podcast. OK, now yep. I have already messed up the name because I'm here. <laughs> where you at? But it's where you're from. <laughs> Okay. That's right. It's your new podcast. Where you're from? Yeah. Well, you're not too far away because the tagline we flip it. You know how the saying you know usually goes, but we say it's not just about where you're at; it's also about where you're from. Right. And and that is because we want to talk about the origin stories of people and the way in which where we come from still has an important part in who we are. And, and where we're at today, right? And so um, we explore the intersection of uh, culture and faith and specifically uh, the stories of how um, you can't, you know that saying like, you know, you don't know someone until you walk a mile in their shoes. Mm-hmm. Well, we spend our podcast to walk that nice mile in someone else's shoes to really get to understand who they are. And particularly, and not to just running the mill, like everybody has an important story, but particularly the people that we engage with are making some significant contributions in the culture. And we want to highlight those stories and actually get you into how they got to where they are. And so it's not just a kind of uh, promotional type space. So for instance, one of the folks we're gonna have on there is Lecrae, you know, Grammy award-winning hip hop artist. 
uh, author, entrepreneur. This is going to be an interview in which you have never heard before because you're going to get the backstory and the backstory to backstory of what made him be the person he is. Same thing with Kiara Shira Kelly, uh, you know, from, you know, obviously the Clark sisters movie where she starred in and gospel artists. Uh, we look at so many different people like that and just give you a un previously unknown look into the person that they became and how they got there. So you're going to be talking to um, these individuals, learning their individual stories. But when you're when you're thinking about faith and culture and how the cross section mm -hmm. is obvious, talk to me just about black folks in general. You know, yeah. black folks, we the church folks, we, we the folks with yeah. the most faith. And then even now, you know, when we talk about how Christianity came to black folks in America, sometimes there's, you know, objection to it. Yeah. Um, talk to me about actual black folks and how it does have this obvious connection between our culture and our faith? Yeah. And that's a great question. And it reminds me, I'm, I'm an African-American studies major, uh, represent UPenn and uh, lived all four years in the dorm was Du Bois College House. And the mm -hmm. reason why it was called Du Bois, because Du Bois was actually the first black uh, professor at the University of Pennsylvania. And so uh, studied a lot about him. And, you know, one of his seminal books is called The Souls of Black Folk. Right. right. And The Soul of Black Folk really kind of speaks to the aspect of this historically, you know, spiritual component of who we are and how that impacts everything that we do. And um, and so even when we look at, you know, something like the church, uh, we examine the personal encounters and stories that people have had with faith and how that it continues to inspire them today. And so, for instance, the first person is interesting that you brought up the history of uh, Christianity in America, because the first episode uh, that drops September 3rd, we're actually going to be talking to Lisa Fields. Lisa Fields is the founder of the Jew 3 project, which whose mission is to help black people understand why they believe what they believe. Ooh. And um, and so one of the things that she often does is actually reminds or interviews uh, experts and scholars who talk about the early African roots of Christianity and how there were uh, how Christianity was in Africa and people who were believing in Jesus and following him before they were ever in Europe. And that's a story that people don't oftentimes know that um, American slavery was not the introduction of, of Christianity to uh, people of African descent um, as a people. Um, and so uh, she kind of tells the story of how she got to college and started to really hear things that really challenged her and, and that she didn't have answers for in the classroom. And so she began to really kind of just do some digging and studying. And now that's led her to a place where she wants to help all people think about how, why they believe what they believe and all of the hot topics that come with that in a particular day. And that really resonated with me because I didn't grow up in church at all. Uh, my name, Rasul, is Arabic. Um, my parents had joined the Nation of Islam uh, before I was born. And so my own faith journey is one that uh, covers a lot of different ground and um, ultimately uh, has impacted everything that I do in the way that I see the world today. Um, but the main thing that that's given me is a real interest in 
the stories of everybody, right? Like the, the, the doctrine of the Imago Dei or that the image of God, that we're all made in the image of God, rather, whatever your color creed is, that that is foundational and why I think it's important for us to enter into each other's stories. Well, that is so interesting because I, I'm curious sometimes I run into people who believe what they believe because mama mm -hmm. believed it and grandmama believed it. So mm -hmm. talk to me about your personal journey and not growing up in Christianity and, and making transitions for yourself. Was there something that spawned that that curiosity for you? Because a lot of times if our parents were something or believers of a certain faith, then that becomes our faith. Yes, absolutely. There was. And this is where I'm going to tell on myself, but that's all right. This is okay, testimony that's what we're time. Here for. We want to hear that's it. it. That's it. So the reality was um, senior year in high school. You know, I by this point, I would have identified myself probably more as agnostic. Um, I still couldn't eat pork and that was still a part of my backdrop. But for the most part, didn't go to church, didn't go to mosque, just was kind of like kind of had this perspective that like religion is something that people made up to because they needed some hope or explanations for mysteries they couldn't understand. And I don't need any of that because I'm a good person. And then what happened is I found myself in a very unusual situation for me. And that was two girls like me at the same time. And so I was like, what am I going to do about this situation? I know I one was at my school. The other one wasn't at my school. So I'm going to try to have my cake and eat it too. Right. But I learned something that's a pretty important lesson. You can't be a player if you don't have game. <laughs> which I did not have. That's actually rule number one. <laughs> That's rule number one, right? But uh, so I get caught and the girl just straight up asked me, you know, are you seeing somebody else? And I say, yes. And up until rule this number point, two. Never rule number this. two, but this, this is what, <laughs> but that goes back to rule number one. But um, the, the reality was, she said, you know, you're no better than other guys. In fact, you're worse because you think you're better than them. Mm. And based on how, how I thought about myself and, and how I presented myself in that relationship, she was absolutely right. And I was devastated because I had believed my own hype because at this point I was senior class president, National Honor Society, voted most, you know, best role model, got accepted early to an Ivy League school. So I was like, I'm that dude. Right. And then here's this person telling me, you're not that dude. In fact, you suck. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I. I don't know. I, I don't have an answer for how do I recover from this. So I ended up confessing to the other person. I might as well just get it all out the way. And I told the other uh, sister and she said, I forgive you. And I was like, what? Why? And she said, well, Jesus has forgiven me for everything that I've done. So I don't think I should hold it against you. And I was blown away and confused by the answer. I'm like, what? Uh, tell me more about that. Because this issue of forgiveness and guilt and what to do with the guilt, I didn't have any answer for. I just was like, I suck. And so as I began to hear more about the good news, like the gospel message that Jesus actually came to reconcile, you know, people who were far from God to God through his own death and uh, atonement and, and, and covering of sins. So I could have a relationship with God and know that where I stood with him and have all of my past life and, and, and baggage kind of erased. That was incredibly attractive. But not only that, but there was more than that. It was like, and I've given, I have purpose for you. Like it was almost like discovering that there was an owner's manual and, and a sense of purpose for my life that I never knew and never had access to. So instead of just floundering around trying to figure out what my purpose was that there was actually access to engaging and connecting um with the supreme being that i didn't know of and this was the way to understand how that 
you know, worked. And so that was what changed my life. It happened right before, like really like my freshman year in college. And, and so right immediately I get challenged on campus with like, why do you believe this stuff? And, and I didn't have a lot of answers. All I had was just this mustard seed of faith that was like, I just believe that I have this encounter. And it wasn't just the intellectual. It was like in my heart. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I could feel it. And uh, but then I wanted to have actual logical <laughs> explanation. So I kind of put God on a 30 day trial period. You know, like you sign up for like Netflix or something and you're like, yo, I might cancel this after 30 days. That's kind of how I was doing. And it was like, if at the end of this, people trying to get me to drink Kool-Aid or take all my money, then I'm just going to hit the cancel button and be done with it. But what I found was that God's answers were better than my questions. And that the more I learned from other people, the more I grew and the more I grew into something, someone that he had wanted me to be. And ironically, my name, Rasul, means prophet or messenger. And that's what I found out that I was he had called me to be. And so now I ever since I've been kind of telling that message. That is such an amazing story. I have a couple of things I, I must just point <laughs> out. Number one, I've told so many men they suck and I don't think that led them to Jesus. <laughs> number two, the next man that does suck, I'm going to say, I forgive you because Jesus forgives me and see if that gets him there. Because I believe for you to receive that in that space at that age, even mm. um, there already obviously had been a certain anointing on your life that you just didn't mm. know about, because I don't know how many people, and then also on the young lady's life as well, to be able to speak that, or she just liked you the most, <laughs> but uh, so many different things that could have gone into that, that we think about our lives daily, right? How many times do we hold grudges or don't forgive? And obviously, if we're calling ourselves Christians, we know that's a major tenet is, you know, forgive mm -hmm. uh, as we're forgiven. But that's really interesting that you felt that you you felt bad. You felt indicted as such a young man, because I don't see that as being the norm. I don't see men feeling indicted mm -hmm. for bad behavior uh, as much. Yeah. You know, I, I think, like you said, some of that, um, everybody has their own journey and their story that they go on. Um, but for me, I think it's so important to tell my story because self-righteousness is something that people often associate just with church folk or religious folk. But the reality is I was secular as I wanted to be and as self-righteous as I wanted to be. Right. I just thought I was just that dude and I could do no wrong. And I think that the that like the humbling process of recognizing that I didn't have within me the own resources to satisfy my own requirements, my own expectations were, were not met, that that was, an imp that was just a, a life-changing uh, process. And I, I really even, you know, go back to, you know, the way, you know, my mom and, I, and, and just people raised me to like, say like, you should be doing the right thing. But, and I took it to heart, but ironically, I also kind of thought of myself as more highly than I should have mm -hmm. in that moment caused me to, to humble myself. And fortunately, I did go back and share with the other, the first lady <laughs> that I had talked to uh, about, you know, my uh, transition into faith and, 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 and uh, my apology. And she accepted it and was grateful for that, you know, um, that, that, that moment. And, and so it gave me some sense of closure and, and whatnot moving forward. Okay, so I know you have a lot of callings on your life, but I feel like I want to sponsor the tour that you go around <laughs> and tell that story <laughs> to spark some of that that self-righteous uh, behavior. Mm. Because most of us, as you said, have a mm. certain indignation attached to us. And, you know, yeah, I'm not perfect, but I'm better than you. Um, mm. And so to have someone call us on our stuff sometimes is 
you know, is not always well received, usually not received in the moment ever. Right. It's usually something mm. in, in reflection or after the fact or looking back or as you grow up, you say, OK, this person was actually trying to help me. So in telling your story and in starting your new podcast, where you from, where you hear other people's stories, mm -hmm. what is your goal? You know, in, in yeah. sharing the stories, what, what is it that you hope people get from hearing your podcast? I hope that people will when they hear where you're from, first of all, just get introduced to some of the dopest people that I know of and have just have so been formational in my own life. It's like amazing that I get to talk to these people and share that those conversations with the world because I've been huge fans of them and admirers of what they do. So I think the first thing I just like look at these people and just like get to know them because they are amazing people and they're and oftentimes best kept secrets. Um, the second thing with that is by learning and hearing other people's stories that people will be inspired to know that um, whatever struggle I'm going through right now, it's not the end of the story. Like there's more to the story, even if I'm struggling in my faith, I'm struggling in my relationships, that that's not that God can take that thing and make beauty for ashes, right? Regardless of what that is. And there's something really uplifting about that. Another thing is that, especially in the context of our polarized, just super politicized kind of environment, I think I wanna model for people what it looks like to enter into people's stories before we even have the discussion about, well, you know, the the topic of, well, I, I agree with the, everything that they're saying, or I disagree, or that, that's not my faith tradition, or that is like, my thing is, I think if we learn, there's a, a verse in the scriptures in the Pro book of Proverbs, that says, be slow to speak and quick to listen. Mm -hmm. Slow to speak. Like there's a reason why we have two ears and one mouth, right? We're supposed to listen twice as much as we speak. And that if I learn to, to do that, I actually will enrich myself and even be able to see the humanity and the beauty of somebody, regardless of where they end up in, you know, landing. But in the meantime, we're going to still be about that, that struggle and about that life of, of justice. And so a lot of the themes of the interaction, intersection of faith and culture that we talk about uh, really lean into these spaces of justice, lean into these spaces of, of, of just all around the board of what's going on in the world, but giving historical context, but it's through the embodiment of people, not just like, nameless, faceless facts. So it's interesting when you say, you know, going through, you know, walking in someone's shoes or hearing someone's story. I personally, a couple of years ago, came up with the answer to the world's problems. Mm. And, and that is of all the things that are taught to children and reinforced to children, the number one thing that is not taught or reinforced is empathy. Because mm. you wouldn't shoot someone if you thought about how their family would feel because you have a family. You wouldn't rape someone. You thought about how you no. would feel if someone did that to your family member. You wouldn't steal from someone if you thought about how it would feel. And I think of all the things that are the worst thing to happen in the world is because there's no sense of empathy. There's so much ego. Mm -hmm. This is how I feel. This is how you offended me. This is how you wronged me, or I just hadn't thought about you at all. I feel like empathy is one of those amazing virtues that just does not get enough, uh, encouragement or support in life to say, you know mm. what, I don't feel that way. That is not my situation, but I have an appreciation for that being your situation. Yes. Yes. So much there. Let me just, and, and I'm not, I'm not here to preach, but there's a passage that just so speaks to that, that, that issue in the book of John, uh, Lazarus, Jesus's close friend 
um, is dead. Now, we know from the previous chapter that Jesus knows he's going to die and actually delayed his coming to Lazarus on purpose. So it says so that people could see the glory of God. Nevertheless, he gets there. The funeral is in session. Folks are wailing and weeping. And, you know, I just you know, how we do at the funeral, probably somebody trying to jump into the casket and all that. And Lazarus's sisters, both of them say, Jesus, if you would have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And I think about some of that anger that goes with the sadness of when we see somebody that's lost. Right. And Jesus knows what he's going to do. And he says, you know, where's the you know, take me to him. And while he goes there, the scene is set and the people are just crying and weeping. And it says the smallest Bible verse in the entire Bible, Jesus wept. Mm -hmm. And it's and they said the people looked and said, look at the compassion that he has for this person. But some said, but he couldn't save him. And then he caused Lazarus to go, you know, come out the tomb and he and he resurrects him. But the amazing thing about it was he knew he was going to resurrect him, but he still was weeping over the fact that. And I think that in that moment, it wasn't just about Lazarus's death. It was about the the fact that all people are that he's grieving over the sense of loss, this grie grieving over the sense of death that is overwhelming him in this moment of recognizing this is why I had to come and die so that I can so that people can experience eternal life. And so that that but that, that aspect of compassion is something that moves me every day. I mean, I remember uh, seeing the earthquake in Haiti just mm -hmm. a few weeks ago, and I just was like, I'm supposed to do something. I'm supposed to do something. I gave to a you know relief organization. It just that wasn't enough. And so I'm like, I don't know anybody there. So I reach out to a church that I knew that used to do medical mission trips there like every summer. And they put me in touch with the pastor, in, you know, in Haiti. So I call him up and I don't know him, but he starts telling me the stories. He starts sending me pictures of, and I post them online. And all of a sudden I'm like, we got to do something. We end up starting a, a organization help for Haiti to, to get donations there. But because the idea of once I saw those pictures, once I heard those stories, mm -hmm. there was a one video he sent me and the, and the woman was saying in French, you know, um, persona visite pas, person, like nobody comes, nobody's here. And it was like, we got to do something. And so, yeah, I completely agree with you that the more that we engage in this concept of empathy and empathetic listening, the more we can see our shared humanity. And that is a key part of what we want to do with where you're from. Mm-hmm. I believe in that mission so much. I think um, I'm, I'm a former television news anchor. And so my 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 empathy gets me in trouble in doing the news, mm. right? Because my heart is broken all day, every day. And that's why I left the desk because I just couldn't help everybody. I couldn't save everybody. I couldn't fix it for everybody. But one of the things I've done is uh, I've wrote a children's book starring my dogs, Sugar and Bella. They're two different breeds of dogs, but they love the same things. And that's why they're best friends. And I was hopeful in writing and putting this book out that, people who see so many differences. I mean, we find a lot of different ways to hate each other, whether it's race, religion, uh, football team, if you put sugar no. in your grits or not. Um, and I thought, but, but maybe because people love animals, they can say, oh yeah, we're all different and we all want the same things. Like, why are we making mm -hmm. a big deal when we all want the same things? That was my call to action was based on what I was seeing on social media. Here on the History of Being Black, we like to leave our listeners with some idea of something they can do right now so they also can hashtag be the change. What is something, I mean, you've given us a lot of information and, and even some ideas, but okay, let's say I, I see the, the earthquake in Haiti or I see what's going on in Afghanistan and my heart breaks, but I don't know what to do. Can you offer us some idea for our listeners to, to be a change in our communities or around the world? What, what can someone do right now? 
Yeah, no, that's great. I remember when, um, when Moses, when God told Moses, I want you to deliver the people of Israel, you know, from bondage in, in, in Egypt and bring them out. And he's like, I can't do that. I, I can't speak and I can't. And he started going down the list. And God asked, asked this question to Moses. He says, what's in your hand? And he looked, it was a staff in his hand because he was a shepherd. And then he said, throw the staff on the ground and it becomes a, a serpent. And he pick it back, picks it back up. And that key question of what's in your hand is such the same question of, I think, what we have to ask ourselves, right? Like, don't look at what you don't have, but what's in your hand? What is it that you already are good at, that you already do, that you already have a gift for? And start there. And so when I think about the help for Haiti, for example, I'm like, I didn't know anybody from, uh, in Haiti, but what was in my hand was a relationship with the church that I knew had connections there. And so then that turned into, you know, more calls and pictures that he, this pastor then reaches out to others and shows me pictures and videos. And now we've raised over $3,000, wow. you know what I mean? And we're and our goal is much bigger, a hundred thousand. So that's the one thing you can do is help us out. But but the biggest piece of that is what's in your hand. So I would just encourage people and and to start with that conversation. Like I, I had to just have the conversation on the ground. What's going on in Haiti? Like what's what are your needs? And they started to tell me the needs and the challenges there. And so I think that that's how to empathetic listening. Who's somebody who you can talk to and just learn more about the situation and look at what you have at your disposal, what's in your hand, and then go from there. And so that would be my encouragement uh, to those who are listening. Um, if you want to be about, you know, even the support efforts with uh, Haiti, you can uh, uh, check out my personal social media accounts. I've been posting about it uh, every day uh, at Russell Berry on Twitter or Facebook, uh, Russell B-R-A-S-O-O-L-B on IG. And of course, please listen and subscribe to the podcast at Where You're From. Uh, where you're from podcast on uh, Instagram uh, at underscore where you're from on um, Twitter. And uh, we, our first episode drops September 3rd. So just tomorrow. And so uh, we're looking forward to you engaging with it. So thanks so much for having me. Oh, congratulations. Um, I'm sure it's going to be wonderful for us to hear these stories that you're curating for us and bringing to us. You're a wonderful storyteller yourself. So we really appreciate you becoming a brand new best friend of our little <laughs> humble podcast, The History of Being Black. Uh, hashtag Be The Change. Folks, make sure after you listen, you let us know what you can do. Also, Help for Haiti is a wonderful uh, organization that, you know, you can be a part of that $100,000 goal and that that will help you sleep better tonight. Uh, we encourage it because all of us can do something. There's not no. anyone that could possibly be listening to this podcast who can't do something to help change the actual world. So we hope that you're inspired. Rasul Berry, again, thank you so much for coming on. Congratulations. You're going to have a, a chance to see uh, the podcast world and, and maintaining it. And so hopefully maybe um, someone from our family will join your family and vice versa. We'll just keep sharing. The Love week, it. Sharing the Love story. it. Yes. Sounds good. Y'all, we got it on tape, so he's got to do it. All right. <laughs> Until next time, thank you guys so much for listening to The History of Being Black. Take care of yourself, and we'll talk to you next time. The History of Being Black podcast is hosted and produced by Eunice Elliott. Associate producer, Ariel Mancibo. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find The History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. And on IG and Twitter at History of Being Black. The History of Being Black podcast is a mean old line media production. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. 
Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.